This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, we are welcoming Amanda Montalvo to the show. Amanda is a women's health dietitian. She is at Hormone Healing RD on Instagram. On her page, she discusses all kinds of things like fibroids, ovulation, hormones, and menstrual cycles. And today she is here to discuss with us the relationship between our hormones and food, how we can better eat to support our hormones and our menstrual cycles, and how we can better support ourselves postpartum through diet and nutrition. When I step back and look at our mood and our hormones and everything from a like big picture, well-rounded perspective, diet and nutrition isn't the only factor that impacts our mood and our hormones because we know that there are lots of other things through psychiatry and maternal mental health that do have an impact, but it is certainly one of the core aspects that we work on in terms of lifestyle. So it's not the be-all and end-all in the sense that it is a cure-all, but it absolutely is a fundamental and an important piece when we're talking about our hormones and our mental health. So really interesting insights to come from this interview today with Amanda. Hey mama, Erica here, popping in to let you know that Dr. Asherina Reem, aka Psyched Mummy and I are going to be re-hosting and offering our Mummy Rage seminar live. It was an absolute blowout success last time we hosted this webinar and we've had rave reviews and feedback, lots of demand for another live hosting of this webinar. So we've heard you and we are going to offer it on January 25th, that's a Monday, at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Now, if you can't make the live event, you can purchase a ticket and I know momming gets hectic. You can have access to the live playback after we host the live event. So show up live or watch the playback, whichever you prefer, but it will be available to you. In this webinar, we go through understanding postpartum rage, learning to identify the true needs underneath the anger and rage, what's really going on, and practical strategies for in the moment. We also discuss ways that you can repair with both your child and your partner or yourself after you've lost your cool, and ways to practice self-compassion so that you can not fall into that spiral of mommy shame and guilt that we feel once we've reacted in a way that we don't feel super proud of. All of this is going to be happening on January 25th. It's a Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can learn more at happyasamother.co slash mummy range. That's happyasamother.co slash mummy range. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. 
If there's one thing that I get kind of like nerdy excited about, it's understanding hormones and our reproductive hormones as women because they have such a major role in our brains and our neurotransmitters and so many other pieces of our body. So I'm so excited to bring you on today to share from like a dietitian's perspective on how we approach hormone health. So thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I think too, because a lot of women just aren't, we're not taught about these things. So it's usually like we have an issue and then we learn about it and our minds are blown. Yeah. And hormones are so multifaceted and, and I'm still trying to really understand their impacts of the brain. And I've been doing some research this week and I'm building some resources. I came to really learn how much our hormones play a role in and are responsible for our neurotransmitters and the chemicals in our brain and how they get created. There's just so many things that they're responsible for. So I'm excited to have this conversation from your perspective. I'm really curious how one comes to specialize in being like a women's health dietitian. How did you get on this this journey that you're so passionate about? So it started actually when I was pretty young. I was about 20 years old and I was learning about the pill. Basically, I was in college and we were learning about different medications and the nutrient deficiencies that they cause because obviously we're going to have to counsel patients certain supplements they may have to take or like foods to prioritize. The pill came up, the birth control pill, and I started learning about like vitamin B12, B6, zinc, copper, all these things that were being depleted. And I was like, no one has ever told me this. And I've been taking at that time, I think I was taking the pill for like seven years. Mm. And so my eyes were like, wait a minute. I don't think anyone else knows about this either. And that's really kind of what kicked off like my research in it. And I was kind of struggling. Like I was obviously in college, super busy. I was a college athlete of a lot going on and I wasn't feeling like myself. And I was like, I wonder if any of these nutrient deficiencies or if the pill in and of itself is impacting kind of my mental health. And so the more research I did, then I decided, okay, maybe I'm going to try coming off and seeing if I feel better. This was like 10 years ago. So there wasn't like all the information out there like there is now on like safely transitioning off the pill, how to support your body when you come off the pill, like all the stuff that I talk about, I feel like on a regular basis. And so I just came off and I thought I would just get my period back and that I would feel really good, you know, and I was like, had all this, like these like positive things that I thought were going to happen. And then I I lost my period and my hair started thinning. My acne got way worse because I kind of always struggled with my skin. I felt even worse and mm. no one could help me. My doctors were like, you just need to go back on the pill and it'll clear up your skin and your period will come back. But I'm like, but I'm not, I want to ovulate. Like I want to make my own hormones. And so that's when I just really dug in because I felt like there weren't really many resources for women out there. And so I just became obsessed and it changed like the whole trajectory of my career. That's so fascinating. And I find that each person that I interview, their real passion comes from like a pain point or experience in their own life. Like mine with my, after my third, I went through my own postpartum and depression, which birthed this whole platform as a result, because I was like, I'm in the mental health profession and I didn't even know maternal mental health was a thing. Like this is not acceptable, you know? So I love that your story led you to be so passionate and to help so many women with this. And I found you first through your Instagram page because your graphics are beautiful and they're so simplified to really like boil down information that like, I don't know all the names of all of the chemicals or traits or vitamins or I don't know, like all of the terminology that goes with it. But I really do understand to get the concepts by the things that you share. 
It's been really fun educating and talking more about this information on Instagram, especially because it's such an easy platform to share things. And I feel like people really absorb so much on there. And so it's really fun. As soon as I learned all these things and learned more about like my cycle and what ovulation, I didn't even know what ovulation was. And I think that's pretty normal for a lot of the women that I speak with. And so I just wanted to share it. So it's been really great. Yeah. I was interviewing Dr. Natalie Crawford. She's an OBGYN and infertility specialist. And uh, we were talking about healthy periods and healthy cycles and and how my whole life, my cycle varied from like 35 days to 42 days to 30 days and all over the place. She's like, that is so not the normal cycle. You need to go talk to your doctor about that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that so many of us women can relate to this, like you're saying, where either we come off the pill or in sports and athletic and our period is inconsistent or, you know, we're not ovulating or we're struggling with infertility or secondary infertility, or we're getting our first menzies back postpartum and our hormones are, you know, kind of all over the place. So can we maybe start with talking a little bit about ovulation and hormones and kind of what happens with our hormones cycle during the month? Because it kind of goes in this cyclical nature, right? Yeah, I think that's probably the easiest just so everyone's on the same page, you know, because it's easy to get into the nitty gritty with things with like progesterone is my progesterone high or low, whatever. But I think it's good to kind of understand like how that works in the body. So we'll start with your period, right? Your menstrual, technically, it's like your menstrual cycle. And so that's when our hormones are their lowest, right? Our hormones drop, and then we get a bleed. When our period ends, our body's already building up estrogen. And that's helping to build up our follicles, build up the uterine lining. And then eventually it's going to stimulate ovulation. So estrogen is super important. It's one that we want in the right balance. And I'm sure we're going to get into what imbalances look like. Yeah. Um, and so it's super important for that ovulation to actually occur. And so ovulation is just when that follicle releases the egg. And this is really the star of our cycle. I always just focus so much on my actual period. And I, I never paid enough attention to like, what day of my cycle am I ovulating? Am I even ovulating every cycle? You know, like, because sometimes we don't always ovulate, uh, and we can still get a period. So then ovulation occurs. And this is when things really kind of switch with our cycle. So the first half, it's mostly estrogen dominant, right? That's really the hormone that's working the hardest there. Then we ovulate, we release that egg, which is the only time that we can get pregnant. Um, most of us think we can get pregnant every day. <laughs> Not true. And then once we ovulate and release the egg, that's when we make progesterone. And progesterone is just this beautiful, amazing hormone that allows us to feel really good. And so it raises our body temperature. And so that's why one of the ways that you can know if you've ovulated is if you're tracking your temperature first thing in the morning, and then you'll see an increase and it will stay high. And then you can see like, okay, my body is making, it's generating more heat. My metabolism has sped up a little bit. And that's all because of progesterone. And that's called your luteal phase. And then your hormones drop, you get your period and you do it all again. I've noticed a really common pattern with a lot of my clients, especially in the postpartum period once they've gotten period back, but just a lot of my clients might struggle with like anxiety or mood related things. And often their moods are like like cyclical or like in line with their cycle. And it might look like the first, like let's say the week of ovulation. So maybe it's like the two weeks to a week leading up to their actual period where there's a major shift in mood. Can you help us understand 
what's going on with our hormones or, or maybe how we can support that time of our cycle? Yes. So, and I see this a lot with my clients that struggle with anxiety or even like PMDD, like having very severe depression around your cycle. Exactly. Um, And it's not always your period. Sometimes it's actually ovulation. So the the biggest impact here is usually estrogen. Like I said, estrogen is important. We want to have enough, but when we have too much estrogen, it basically leads to this like build up right before ovulation. It's supposed to be high, but if you have excess, it's going to be even higher. And then you experience a drop. Mm. And so when that, when you have high estrogen and then you have a drop, it's like exaggerated times 10, right? So then of course you're going to have major shifts in your mood. Some women will notice spotting around ovulation because of that big drop in estrogen. And then same thing before your period. If you have a lot of estrogen and maybe you don't make enough progesterone or it's low in comparison to estrogen, then you're still going to have all those excess estrogen symptoms. And a lot of it comes down to three main areas. It's our thyroid, our blood sugar, and the liver and digestion. So if we have excess estrogen, it makes this more of this binding protein that can also bind to thyroid hormone. And thyroid hormone is it runs everything. It, it really fuels our metabolism, which is just every reaction that ever happens in the body just equals our metabolism. So it's very important. And when we don't have adequate thyroid hormone, then we typically don't make as much progesterone, which is the hormone that helps reduce anxiety and balance estrogen out. And then of course, our cells are not going to use the nutrients from our food to make energy as efficiently. So everything slows down. And then it's all just exaggerated, right? And so that thyroid issue kind of comes into play and it's very, very hard to get diagnosed because sometimes it's subclinical. So it's not necessarily very obvious. And your doctor might say, your thyroid looks normal, which is even postpartum. It's like, it's very hard to tell for the first six months kind of what's going on there. And then your blood sugar. This has a huge impact on our mood since it's going to impact our stress hormone a ton. And so if you maybe you have excess estrogen, that's going to lead to higher insulin levels. And then you're going to be more prone to having low blood sugar Mm. and low blood sugar equals cortisol, our stress hormone. So if you're already dealing with anxiety and then you're adding cortisol to that fire, it's just going to make it even worse. And then of course, estrogen impacts our detoxification and digestion process. It's kind of like a three-pronged approach that that excess estrogen will lead to issues. And that's why so many symptoms can kind of fall under that umbrella. It's really interesting as you're describing that to me, because it's one just reaffirms to me, like so many people will be like, well, what, why am I experiencing mood related disorders? Right. And just in understanding the cascading effect of, you know, one thing affecting something else in our body, affecting something else helps us to see that it's just not, it's simply not that clear to be able to pinpoint one specific variable. There are multiple things and multiple things that cascade from, let's say, estrogen being high or something like that. So how might we go about, like, let's say we're we're following this pattern where we feel really good for those first two weeks of our cycle. We hit ovulation and then we feel really low and foggy and anxious, low mood up until period. And we're kind of in this cycle of how we're feeling. What might we be able to do to support that hormone health during that time? So there's a few things like if you kind of fall into that category, 
Number one is if we're thinking of what's the kind of main imbalance that's causing you to feel that way, and it's only happening kind of the second half, it's probably more related to low progesterone and too much estrogen. So you want to think about what causes us to not make as much progesterone. And so that would be inadequate thyroid hormone, and then an excessive amount of stress. Mm. So the first areas that I would think about supporting is one, are you eating regularly throughout the day? Okay. And it's a loaded one because some people like prefer to do intermittent fasting or some people, if you're a new mom, like that's not always as easy as it sounds. Right. But I think even just understanding the importance of feeding yourself regularly, because then you're going to avoid those low blood sugars. And that means every time you avoid that low blood sugar, you're avoiding cortisol coming out. And then what typically happens for people when we have excessive amounts of stress is that we're going to take that progesterone, turn it into cortisol, and then we have less of that very healing and relaxing hormone for ourselves. So when I think of minimizing stress, I think of the basics, and that is food, So trying to have balanced meals, protein, fat, and carb doesn't have to be very fancy, Mm -hmm. but just having a balanced meal and eating consistently, I personally find that's one of the best ways to first start reducing your stress so that you can make more of your own progesterone. And even if we're just thinking about thyroid health in general, if someone's worried about their thyroid health, whether it's like postpartum or even like a couple years after they've had a child it takes a while for that to kind of to get back into balance. And so the best way to support your thyroid is to eat enough and have enough fuel because as soon as we start under eating, our body starts adapting and compensating and you get more stress. So that's probably one of the best ways. And then if you want to get really fancy, like if you think you have excess estrogen, maybe you get acne, maybe you get headaches, migraines, super painful, heavy periods. That's when I would say, castor oil packs are really helpful for symptom management. Now we always want to make sure we're doing the basics, but if you want something that's going to kind of help you with the symptoms a lot quicker, doing those that second half of your cycle, even like two to three times a week, then that often people see results pretty quickly from that during their next period. Okay. What the heck is that? What is castor oil? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't even know. This is so exciting. Okay. <laughs> it's been around forever and it's been used in a lot of other cultures. You put it on your skin to support different areas of the body. So it's it's very helpful for liver support. And that's really what we're thinking of with excess estrogen, right? Because our liver processes all our sex hormones. Estrogen goes through a very complex detoxification process to get out of the body. And so when you have those excess estrogen symptoms, you can take some castor oil, put it on a towel or like a flannel, and then lay it over like that upper abdomen, like side liver area, or you could lay it over your lower abdomen. Like if you have cysts or fibroids, or if you're more prone to that, or just like any digestive issues. And then you put like a heating pad over it And it has this very powerful, like gentle detoxification support, reduces inflammation. It can help healing. It's really, really neat. But I find for most people, I use it for uh, detoxification, like liver support before their periods. And then if I have a lot of clients that struggle with like cysts and fibroids. So interesting and definitely something that I will have to look into more and research more. Okay. Like, I'm just like, whoa, my mind is so taking all of this in. Like I said, I'm so excited and nerdy for all, all the hormone information and conversations. Can I give you a quick resource and other people for castor oil packs? Yes, please. So Queen of Thrones, 
which is the best handle ever. She only focuses on like castor oil and she has all these really great free resources on her website about how to do a castor oil pack, frequently asked questions. Like, so if you don't know how to do it or if you have any question, you can probably find it on her website or on her. That's great. I love that. And we'll also link that as resources in the show notes here. If you don't remember, you can click through to the show notes. You can also click through to find Amanda's um, resources there as well. So I think of hormones and mood from a like a mental health perspective. And I think of managing mood from, well, a very similar perspective, actually. You're talking about how like moms or women, like if you're feeling stressed or you're feeling like down or anxious, that you should make sure you're eating throughout the day. And this is one of the fundamental things I work on with, especially moms in the postpartum period, because we're the ones that are more kind of prone to not eat throughout the day because just having baby in, in hand all the time is returning to like our nests protocol, which is nutrition, exercise, sleep, time for self and support. And that leaning into these things really helps us to manage our mood and anxiety by stopping and scanning and doing an inventory. So if I'm having a really hard day today or I'm noticing that I'm anxious, stop and first like, did I eat anything today, right? And going through this list, have I moved my body today? Have I gone for a walk? And I've come to notice like 90% of the time, if I'm feeling like short, heavy in the chest and like anxious, it's actually because I'm really hungry and I haven't eaten anything. Um, And once I do eat, then I feel a lot better. So can you help us understand like the relationship between our hormones and food and kind of how that, how that has such an impact for us? Yeah. So one thing I will say is that hormones is, it's so much more than estrogen and progesterone. And like what we think of as our classic sex hormones, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's where it's easy to kind of get lost. And if you have an imbalance in your hormones, that means that something has been brewing for a very long time. Because our hormones, it's the last stop in the train. It's the last thing that's going to change in your body. So that's something to also consider. Because when I think of like the feelings that you're describing of like feeling almost like anxious and stuff and noticing it's very closely tied to food. That's what makes me think more of like cortisol and stress and blood sugar, right? So that's really the, the big thing there. And so if we think about it, I mean, our bodies run off of glucose, which is just a very simple form of sugar. And that's our preferred fuel source. And so if we aren't giving our bodies glucose consistently throughout the day, so if we're not eating consistently throughout the day, then of course, course, your blood sugar is going to drop and then you're going to release cortisol and you typically get all those anxious feelings. Sometimes it even crushes your appetite or you'll get nauseous, Mm -hmm. lightheaded, all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of those feelings are much more related to our actual stress hormone and blood sugar. And in the short term, that's what leads to issues in our hormones down the road. So if we're constantly experiencing these things and we're constantly under eating, we have to remember that like we don't just make energy in the body. We have to take in energy. And I feel like there's just so much out there now with like there's a diet for everything. There's so many different approaches to nutrition. It is so confusing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. And so I think it makes it really hard to normalize eating regularly because I get so much pushback from people. They're like, why should we eat every three to four hours? I'm like, 
because you're a person <laughs> and you're doing things and you're using your brain and your body. I mean, your brain uses 120 grams of glucose a day. And if you if you're like a creative person or you're constantly like working on a computer all day, it's probably even more. And so I think it's this thing where we just need to like normalize eating regularly. Mm especially for new moms, because you have more stress. It's just how it is, right? It's this whole new life that you're adjusting to, a new personality, a new role. And then we can't even forget the whole, are you working? Are you not? Do you like, do you have paid leave? Do you not? What's your healthcare? Like there's so many variables. And so the more stress that you're dealing with, the bigger the demand for energy from your body is going to be. So that's interesting. Can we pause there for a second? Yeah. Like the more stress, the more demand on your body. And it makes me think about the postpartum period when we talk about like the sleep deprivation, the fact that your body has literally just created and birthed a human being, uh, whatever your birth story looks like. And like, and then you're going through the biggest adjustment of your life. So talk about the the stress that your body and your mind is under, plus like the torture of the sleep deprivation that comes with that period. It's all the more important to really be nourishing yourself and, and uh, whether you're prioritizing feeding yourself or you have a supportive partner who can be, like set a reminder on their phone to bring you a snack every four hours or something like that, right? To be really fueling yourself in that way. It's pretty crazy when you think about birth and obviously it's going to be different depending on how you gave birth. You know, some women are having a 30 hour labor and then they're getting a C-section and it's like, that is so much energy because not only did you basically just run a marathon, but you also then had surgery, which requires a lot of healing. If you have more blood loss, if you tear, all these things can change pretty much how much of an energy deficit that your body is in when you come out of that period. So that in and of itself is you are replenishing from that moment or, you know, those days or whatever, when you were giving birth and going through that experience. But then also the nutrient nutrition requirements are higher postpartum than during pregnancy. Mm. And no one talks about this. It's the craziest thing ever to me. There's very little research on the health of moms in the postpartum period, pretty much confined maybe like five articles. It's, it's really wild, but we know that the nutrient requirements are higher after because your body just went through this huge energy demand and then a very, very aggressive, stressful experience while it's very positive, hopefully, but either way it's stress is stress. And so you have, you're in an energy deficit and your body needs fuel. And then it's super interesting too. the first two weeks postpartum, we have crazy insulin sensitivity, which just means that our cells take up glucose, that sugar very easily, like way easier than previous. And so a lot of moms tend to have experienced low blood sugar a lot during that time Mm. period. So you need to eat like you, especially like balanced meals, like have protein and carb, make prioritize that because that will help keep your blood sugar balance longer. But yeah, your body's like, it's ready. It's ready to absorb that food. It's smart. You know, it knows what it needs to do. But I think we just don't focus enough on replenishment during that time period. And that's really what the best thing you can do for your body. Yeah. If I am like ingraining this in my brain properly right now, it's that when we get hungry or don't fuel our body, our, I was going to say blood pressure. Nope. Our blood sugar drops and cortisol kind of kicks up in response to that. Is that what I'm understanding? 
Yes. And the other piece is that when our blood sugar drops, we're going to get it from somewhere and it's usually from our liver. And so we have stored glucose in there. It's called glycogen, but it's just stored sugar that your body will release as your blood sugar gets low. Because really the whole survival mechanism is that our blood sugar drops and our body needs to replenish that to keep us alive, right? That's its main goal. And so we have these stores in our liver and the issue is that these will get used up mm. and we need to, we need to replenish them, especially like if we think of even just exercise, like we use up stored glucose in our muscles and in our liver during intense exercise. And what is birth, right? right? Very, very, intense. it's like they equate it to like running marathons. And so it shows you like you're, you're very depleted after that, but then also the more often that you are letting the blood sugar drop or experiencing those symptoms, skipping meals, that sort of thing, the more you're going to use up that stored glucose in the liver. And then that's when you start releasing more cortisol more frequently. And especially at nighttime, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people already wake up regularly throughout the night anyway when they're new moms. But if you're finding that even when your baby is sleeping more or if your kids are older and you're waking up, it's not because your body has adjusted to that. I hear that all the time. Oh, it's probably just how my clock is. I'm like, nope, not how it works. Right. It's that your liver ran out of glucose because you don't have enough stored in there. We should have seven to nine hours stored in our liver. And so when we don't, because our body is stressed and using it in other ways, then we wake up during the night and that interrupts our sleep. That's so interesting because I actually did a, like, I'm not a big fan of dieting these days. I'm going to say like, I'm like support intuitive eating and, you know, us loving our bodies and not kind of buying into diet culture all the time. But I had shifted to a, this is a while back, I don't even remember when, a like low carb based diet, high protein, low carb, let's say. And I couldn't sleep for like a week. Like for some reason that changed, like all I changed that whole week was what I was eating. And I had the worst insomnia ever (laughs) when I cut out carbs from my diet. It was like the strangest thing, but it sounds like what you're explaining. Exactly. I see it all the time too, especially with like low carb keto diets, or if people are just under eating, you know, like one of the first things my clients notice is they're like, wow, I'm sleeping so much better. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists, with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? 
We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready-to-eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. When we're talking about, we've got a, like a really good case for eating consistently throughout the day, every, you know, four hours, having a snack, making sure we're keeping our blood sugars up and taking care of ourselves in that way. And that is like, moms, that's a form of self-care. Can we just like put that out there? Like that's a fundamental form of practical self-care that's going to keep us nourished throughout the day and, and help support our mood throughout the day and how we're feeling as well. So it's really, really important. Uh, when it comes to supporting hormones in the postpartum period, or even for moms who have their cycles back through the phases where they find their moods might shift and stuff, are there certain foods that are helpful? What are your thoughts on that? So I would say when we think of what foods are going to be supportive for our hormone health, we want to think of how are they nutrient dense? Like, yes, we need macronutrients, like I mentioned, protein and carbs and fat, but we also need micronutrients like vitamins and minerals. And so I I always tend to focus so much on the liver because that processes all our hormones, right? And a lot of women struggle with like excess estrogen symptoms or thyroid issues, which most of our thyroid hormone is converted in the liver. And so I think of how do we eat in a way that's going to make our liver work efficiently and do the hundreds of jobs that it does, and then also support our thyroid and metabolism. Because if we do those things, then that means that we're going to have healthy hormone production of progesterone that will balance out estrogen and our stress will be minimized. And so the way that you want to think about it is getting enough animal proteins and I, I don't know how you feel about on this topic, but I'm very firm in that animal foods are very healing and they're very nutrient dense and they're easy for us to absorb. And I think that is something 
you know, everyone feels differently. But when we get down to how our bodies work, we have to be able to extract the nutrients from our food Mm -hmm. and digest and absorb them. And so animal foods, they contain really bioavailable protein. So those complete proteins, easy for us to absorb. And then they also contain tons of vitamins and minerals. And when I think of postpartum period, I think of copper, which sounds probably really random. (laughs) People have never done any research on this, but copper is a really important mineral for making energy in the body, ATP, right? That's what fuels all of our processes. And so when we don't have enough copper, then we tend to look iron deficient, very low energy, thyroid issues, all that kind of stuff. And that's because copper is an increased demand during pregnancy, but a lot of women are entering pregnancy with lower copper and low iron. So low iron is really just a copper deficiency for most cases. And so it usually just doesn't get treated correctly, right? People have low iron, so they take iron, even though that's that's not really how the, our bodies work. So getting quality animal proteins in, if you can do things like beef liver, bee pollen, those are very high in copper. And if you don't want to eat liver, because I don't, <laughs> I take I take a, a liver supplement or you can like cut up liver frozen and like take it like a pill. But liver is such a nutrient dense food. Copper, B12, vitamin A, so many important things for liver function, thyroid function, hormone health. So that would be like one of my go-tos and just getting quality animal proteins in throughout the day to balance out your starchy carbohydrates that are going to give you glucose, but you need that protein too. And those, I mean, even just doing those simple things of like eating more root veggies and fruit and protein can do wonders for your nutrient deficiencies and blood sugar balance. A couple of things that you've mentioned that I've heard a lot of my moms struggle with in the postpartum period as well. Things like thyroid challenges or like PCOS and insulin resistance these types of things. How can we support specifically like thyroid? And I I don't know if PCOS is a part of thyroid related things or if how separate they are. Like when do we know if our dietary changes and lifestyle changes are helpful and or when to seek support from, from our doctor or naturopath or something like that? So I would say like if we're thinking specifically about the postpartum period, this is tricky, right? Especially in the beginning, because so many changes are happening. Like your hormones are going from very high to dropping, and then your body's preparing for lactation, even if you're not planning to breastfeed, right? It's still, our bodies are still going to do that. And so you have a, a lot of really big hormonal shifts, especially in those first like three to six months. And then I would say, Obviously, you can employ all of these things like eating balanced meals, eating regularly throughout the day. Maybe you include some more nutrient-dense foods in your diet. All those things will be very helpful regardless during that time period. But as far as like, when should I seek further testing or care? That's when I would say you want to wait at least until like the six-month mark. And then, of course, this is definitely going to depend on if you have your period back yet, right? Which is very unique for everyone, like the timing of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have a health history of a thyroid issue, maybe uh, a lot of women, when they get pregnant, they they test their TSH and it's actually high. And so they'll kind of have that monitored throughout. I would make sure that once you have the baby and you're in that postpartum period, that they're still monitoring you closely. 
because that tends to be when things kind of fall off, right? Where it's just like not as prioritized. So I would make sure that you're still getting your thyroid levels monitored and making sure you're still on an appropriate dose if you are taking medication because a lot of things are going to shift. Yeah. But otherwise, like six months to a year, that's when things should start normalizing. You're definitely still going to be fatigued. Right. It's just I think it's normal. I feel to like that's extent. motherhood. I feel like motherhood is yeah. sum, is summed up in like, you know, exhausted and tired. <laughs> like, like you're still you're definitely still gonna be dealing with that. So I feel like that is normal. It's just thinking about, you know, if it's truly impacting your mental health, your day to day, all that stuff, then around that time frame, I would consider getting your thyroid tested. Hormones are tricky because it's if you don't have your period back or if you just got it back, of course they're going to look off. Yeah. Right? Because every so many shifts have happened. So I usually recommend hair mineral testing around that time frame. That's what I use with the majority of my clients. It's just it gives you a picture of one, how are your minerals and do you have any big nutrient deficiencies? Because we lose 10% of our minerals during pregnancy and we don't even know how much postpartum. Mm. And so I think it's really helpful for that. And then seeing like on a cellular level, are you getting that thyroid hormone inside the cell? Because sometimes our thyroid labs look normal, but we might not be using that appropriately Mm -hmm. in the body. So I think it gives you a good look. It can give you insights into digestion, hormones without testing hormone levels that don't tell you as much because they're likely going to be out of balance. Right, right. I'm actually working with a naturopath on some of this because I had some suspected PCOS and we did some thyroid and like several types of thyroid testing to make sure it was actually like functioning the way that it should be. And then we're going to go into like a full round of hormone testing, but it has to be on like multiple kind of structured days of the cycles to have some things to compare to. But I am like beyond two years postpartum and I have had a regular cycle back for about, I say regular, regular to me, apparently not quite regular, (laughs) but I've had a regular cycle back for about a year or so now. And so now that things aren't quite leveling out, we're exploring and I may have some sort of like PCOS, like apparently there are several different categories and I may have one of the more um, like sneakier kind of categories of that. So one of the things that I actually hear moms talk a lot about and that I recently learned is also a hormone is insulin. And a lot of moms actually have challenges with gestational diabetes and challenges with insulin in pregnancy. And then some moms that I work with also have insulin resistance due to PCOS. COS and other things. So can we talk a little bit about the hormone insulin and its role? Yes. So insulin is, it's a very energetic hormone. So basically it's what takes the glucose that we eat, whether, right? If we eat a carbohydrate, whether it's like a non-starchy veggie, like spinach, or if it's a potato or a piece of bread, it all breaks down to glucose in the body. And then that glucose has to get inside our cells because if we have too much in our blood, it can be harmful to our organs, lead to like neuropathy issues. And so we that insulin tells our cells that they can take up this glucose. And so it gets it out of the bloodstream. So it's more like a storage hormone, but it's really important, right? Because it allows our cells to take up energy. And when we, maybe you get diagnosed with insulin resistance, like if you have a high fasting insulin, that's typically how they're going to diagnose that. Then often what that is meaning is that your cells are requiring more insulin than they should to let the same amount of glucose in. So you end up storing more. So it can definitely lead to more fat storage and like weight gain. But insulin is an interesting thing. And so is PCOS. So 
I've worked with women on this for many years and I've definitely like the way that I approach it has changed a lot because now it's, they're coming out with different types of PCOS, but at the end of the day, it's a metabolic issue, right? It comes down to how our cells are using energy. And so I think people overcomplicate it. Honestly, I think if we go down, if we go back to how does our body work, right? Glucose is the preferred energy source, but what keeps us from using it properly. And a lot of the times it's when our body's trying to adapt to stress. So that could be under eating. And so your body's going to take muscle tissue and turn that into glucose because it's smart. It's going to get it somewhere. And that requires cortisol, right? So in order for our body to get energy that it's not getting from our food, it's going to use that stress hormone. Um, and so that can lead to more insulin resistance. And then because you're needing, you're kind of like getting more of that insulin release. And then thinking about, are you getting the nutrients that you need to thrive? You know, do you eat nutrient dense foods? Because even nutrient deficiencies can make it harder for all of our cells to do their jobs. That's another reason why I focus a lot on minerals in foods is because those are, they kick off so many reactions in the body. And so if you eat nutrient dense foods that are mineral rich, then you're much more likely to have all these processes work better. And that's why even just making some food changes can be really powerful for your metabolism and therefore insulin resistance. Okay. So you had said that insulin and like PCOS is metabolic. Is that what you had called it? Yeah. And they do technically classify it as like a metabolic health issue. It's just the way that we look at health conditions is like, we always want to have like one thing that we're focusing on. Like for PCOS, it's usually insulin resistance. And so they'll give you metformin. Maybe you get some inositol because they're trying to lower your blood sugar. But what I think the better question to ask is why is your body not using that energy appropriately? Because our body wants to run off of sugar. It's its preferred fuel source. So that's when I think we need to step back and look at how much stress do you have in your life? Is that preventing you from using glucose appropriately? Are you eating enough? A lot of my clients with PCOS have a long history of dieting, under eating, binge eating, and kind of going through these cycles. So it's just looking at all the different areas and not only focusing so close in on like, oh, I have insulin resistance. So I'll take these medications or supplements for it. It's like, you want to look deeper of like, do you have imbalances in the body? Or are you not eating enough so that your body can't use that energy appropriately? Like you want to understand, like not just treat the symptom, but really understand the system and what is happening. And you've mentioned stress so many times. Can you, like maybe this is kind of our, our last question that we'll dive into, you know, sink our teeth into, is the, the impact of stress and cortisol, I guess, as a result of stress. Can you help us understand? And I think we've highlighted it a few times, but um, really kind of drive home the impact that that might have and, and some ways to support it. In stress, like I like to think of it as stressors are what cause stress in the body. And I, I think it's a helpful way to understand it. So yes, we can feel stress, but the, what the stress is really just a reaction, right? And it's not a bad thing. It's our bodies adapting to their environment. And so I think one of the good ways to think about it is there's plenty of things that we have control over, like our food intake, right? Like trying to prioritize feeding ourselves regularly. 
even if we don't do it perfect at first, but like trying to make that a priority and working on it that reduce stress within the body big time, right? So I think if we can kind of think about, okay, we have these outside stressors that change the environment. And whenever our environment in our body is thrown off, then our body's going to try to adapt to it. And that's usually when we release things like cortisol, our stress hormone. We also release DHEA which is a pretty common hormone that women will see high levels of a PCOS and then adrenaline. And that's what can give us those feelings of anxiousness or mood changes, feeling like you can snap easily, that sort of thing. And so if we can look at what are our different stressors in our environment and just not forget about food, sleep, all the basically all the things that you talk about in your nest protocol. Like I think that's amazing. And it's such a great little perfect matching acronym. All those things, like that minimizes stress. And I think those are the basics to always keep your finger on because for the most part, I think we can at least control some of them. And then of course, we're always going to have outside stressors that are out of our control. But when we can support our body in those basic ways, it makes you more resilient. So you respond to stress better. Things aren't as harsh on you. You can handle more. Yeah, it's interesting to see that we teach a lot of the same strategies to clients, but from completely different perspectives. Because I'll work with moms, let's say, for like a really high stress time in the home and a really like triggering time, let's say, for having to regulate their big emotions in response to their child's big emotions, you know? And we talk about the importance of just like eating a snack and making sure you're fueled up so that you have the resources and the capacity within yourself to be more patient and to be prepared and and sustain through that evening transition or having moved your body to release some of that energy or whatever. And, And it's the same like formula in a lot of ways. And I think it's just, it's the basics. And You can't ignore it. And I feel like there's so many different ways we can focus on our health. But if you don't have those foundations in place, if you try to like take a certain supplement or maybe you want to get some testing done, you're always going to have to have a firm foundation. So I can totally see. One other thing I do talk about a lot is light exposure. So I find that especially when we're thinking of stress and even just sleep, you know, like how well you're sleeping, how you can optimize those things. And even just, you know, blue light exposure and our blood sugar and stress, it's really helpful if you just not to like overcomplicate things, but even just think about how much sunlight are you getting every day? Like, are you getting outside? And I know that can be a a part of exercise and movement for a lot of people, but even just paying attention to like, am I getting regular light exposure? Mm -hmm. And then thinking about uh, your blue light exposure throughout the day. So ideally, of course, we're all going to have blue light exposure. We're all on screens. Many of us work on a computer or we're watching TV, things like that on our phones. And so during the day, that's normal for our bodies because the sun is out and that's our natural blue light exposure. And so once that sun goes down, that's when I'm like, you really want to pay attention to how much blue light exposure are you continuing to get when it's dark outside or when after the sun sets, because that's not natural for our bodies. And that's when you can start throwing things off, especially like our circadian rhythm and how well we're falling asleep, how much melatonin we're making. And there's a ton of research on blue light and insulin resistance and how getting excessive amounts of that stimulation, especially from like screens, leads to more cortisol production, which can make us more insulin resistant. So it's one of those easy things to try to just pay attention to and think like, maybe I will use like the Flux app or something on my phone and computer. Maybe I'll get blue light blocking glasses or get like dimmers so we can dim our lights at nighttime. Like it really does make a big difference. 
That's so interesting. The blue light exposure being like when I think of like sun exposure, I think of going outside and our skin absorbing like vitamin D from the sun. Blue light exposure being like specifically your eyes taking it in, throwing off your rhythm or does it, is it like a body response as well? Our eyes are especially powerful for light. Also just staring at a screen or a thing for a long period. Like we're not meant to do that. And so it actually leads to more of a stress response and like a tightness in our body. Mm. And so that's why a lot of us, when we work on a computer all day, like you can definitely end the day or even just like feel stiff, have neck issues. Like maybe you're like a clenching jaw, like all these really common things and just like joint pain in general. And it's because we're like staring at this screen that is like hyper stimulating and our eyes are not getting a break. So if you're kind of doing that 24 seven, then it's not going to be super beneficial. Really interesting. So it's interesting when we go through interviews or like, I feel like I say things to clients like, oh, we need to learn to to take deep breaths. Everyone's like, yeah, Erica, like I know I need to breathe. Like it's, (laughs) you know, like I get it. And I'm like, no, but really you need to breathe. And this is why, this is why it's important for you to breathe. And that's what, like, I feel like we've really dug into here, like why it's so fundamentally important for us to be nourishing our bodies throughout the day and why it's so critical that we pay attention to our body when it is like, you know, indicating that there is stress that we take time for like a mindful pause or a stretch or a walk about the house if we're working from home, these types of things. Because yes, we might know, air quote, that like these are some of the basic things that we should be doing. But when we understand why they are important, I find we're a lot more keen to actually take them seriously and implement them. Right. So thank you for coming and sharing this stuff with us today. And I'm like eager to like have a snack now and make sure I feed myself appropriately throughout the day. And also like just how that ties into managing stress and stuff as well. It's so interesting. So thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. This was a fun conversation. Yeah. Where can people find you online and the resources that you offer? So I would say definitely go to my website. It's just hormonehealingrd.com. And I'm very active on Instagram. I do a weekly newsletter and it's really awesome. I can't even, can't even like not brag about it because I love it. I have such an engaged community there and they ask such great questions. And that's really kind of what I base the newsletter around. It's called Feminine Periodical. And I just talk about different issues that I just see commonly with my clients or with the women that reach out to me online. And it's it's nice because it's longer form so I can go into more detail than like an Instagram post. But yeah, so I would say definitely you can sign up for that on my website. My Instagram is hormonehealingrd. And I might just head over and join your newsletter because this has been really interesting. And it's empowering to know more about our health and to know how we can be um, changing cycles and and patterns and ways of doing things often that we were raised with, you know, and to know and grow in knowledge on how to do things differently. So thank you so much, Amanda, for taking the time. I've appreciated it. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. 
If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Settling is not an option for Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.